BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I say, the empire never ended. The empire is the institution, the codification of derangement. It is insane and imposes its insanity on us by violence, since its nature is a violent one. To fight the empire is to be infected by its derangement. This is a paradox. Whoever defeats a segment of the empire becomes the empire. It proliferates like a virus imposing its form on its enemies. Thereby it becomes its enemies. Against the empire is posed the living information, the plasmate or physician, which we know as the Holy Spirit or Christ discorporate. These are the two principles, the dark, the empire, and the light, the plasmate. Since the universe is actually composed of information, then it can be said that information will save us. This is the saving gnosis which the Gnostics sought. There is no other road to salvation. However, this information, or more precisely, the ability to read and understand this information, the universe as information, can only be made available to us by the Holy Spirit. We cannot find it on our own. Thus it is said that we are saved by the grace of God and not by good works, that all salvation belongs to Christ, who I say is a physician. Interesting language you're using there, Phil. Viruses and physicians and healing and whatnot. And the plasmate. What's up, Phil? What's on your eternal prophetic mind? Viruses? And yes, the Empire is insane and has been recently imposing its insanity on us more than ever. I mean, if anybody would just open their third eye a bit more, 
they would see how deranged the Empire is by its head-assery discussions and retarded actions. And if one opens their third eye even more, they would see we've been placed in both mental and physical prisons for a while. How our psyches have been brutalized with fear and uncertainty, manufacturing egregores of isolation that will eventually doom entire societies. Reminds me of this quote by William Burroughs. The rulers of this most insecure of all worlds are rulers by accident. Inept, frightened pilots at the controls of a vast machine they cannot understand. Calling in experts to tell them which buttons to push. If more of our so-called leaders would walk the same streets as the people who voted them in, live in the same buildings, eat the same food instead of hiding behind glass and steel and bodyguards, Maybe we'd get better leadership and a little more concern for the future. And medical experts and technocrats and social media gurus help push, push, push those fucking buttons. Impose the empire's will on us by various spectrums of violence. Infecting us with its virus powers until we become like it. A nation of Karens and comrades and Cylons with no money in our banks and unable to take care of the sick. The empire never ended. And fighting it is like enlisting as a stormtrooper to destroy the Death Star. It is insane and imposes its insanity through violence and proliferates by infecting anyone who resists at all. They are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. We are their cattle. We are being bred for slavery. But you're right, Phil. The universe is made of information, and thus that information will save us. That is Gnosis. That is beyond the Empire's reach, with Valis in the stratosphere. And that is what we seek, all of us who materialize at the virtual Alexandria every week. Here at Aeon Bite. And fight against assimilating this dullness into our thought processes, we must learn to read, to stimulate our own imaginations, to cultivate our own consciousness, our own belief systems. We all need these skills to defend, to preserve our own minds. But come on, you veterans of a thousand psychic wars. This is what you were made for. This is the age you were born to thrive in. You and I were always freaks and outcasts, thinking we were mad while being tortured as children, but one day realizing it was the world that was mad for never protecting children. You and I surf twisted visions and endure dysfunctional lives. 
social distance by the so-called upstanding and abused by Darwinian systems masked as education. Always with our wolf sight on both the black old sun and the imaginal realms. Seeing both the whole of the moon and the horror of existence. High on our sci-fi and high on our past lives. Continually mocked and persecuted by societal centurions. Hung on crosses of shame by haughty demigods we laughed at with blood in our mouths. Is that the best you can do? You're gonna have to kill me! But we survived and thrived and our revelations multiplied. We created inner worlds of wonder and saw the outer world as a virus plague kingdom. A twisted reflection of forgotten divine dreams. We can relate to what C.G. Jung said in the Red Book. No one knows what happened during the three days Christ was in hell. I have experienced it. Everybody's hell is different. It's not all fire and pain. The real hell is your life gone wrong. In short, we freaks and outcasts always contemplated the unimaginable and endured all that could be imagined. And now, the rest of the normies must do this in 2020 or succumb completely to the Empire's insanity. Well, it's not really a measure of mental health to be well-adjusted in a society that's very sick. The hells of the unknown and the unfair we overcame are now spreading to the entire globe. The Empire's derangement infects everyone, and that's a venom we long became immune to. You were made for this age because you've spent so many lifetimes in a quarantine by Yaldabaoth and escaped. This is our time. As the Gospel of Thomas says, He who has known the world has found a corpse. And he who has found a corpse, the world is not worthy of him. The things you own end up owning you. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. You and I were made to navigate the delirium and despair and illusions of a crumbling civilization. Not just navigate, but thrive, thrive, thrive. Find our bliss in seclusion and express our will to power to those around us falling asleep. The Archons and Normies called us freaks and outcasts, Phil. Now we're the physicians of a sick universe, the only ones who can decipher this universe made of information. So stay awake, but dream big. And as Beth Martin said in a recent interview, when you're a slave to your purpose, you're no longer a slave to the system. And as I say, write your own gospel, live your own myth. What is the truth? 
We place faith in ourselves. We see the world the way it really is, and hope that one day all mankind might see the same. What is the world, then? An illusion. One which we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted. We were made for this, we freaks and outcasts. And we all know that one of the ways to gain salvific gnosis is through myth, magic, and meaning. Knowing we're never alone in our path because it's a busy universe out there full of cosmic narratives and spirits that can help us. For this, we are joined at the virtual Alexandria by Aman Lamba and Arundel Overman to discuss their new book, The Complete Illustrated Grand Grimoire or The Red Dragon. Interlinear Edition, French to English. So excited to host these brilliant and mystic heretics. And yes, this ain't your grandma's summoning of angels and demons. As you shall see, spirit work is a necessary part of our arsenal in the war against reality. Well, I wrestled with reality for 35 years, Doctor, and I'm happy to state I finally won out over it. You've got this. You were made for this, you freaks and outcasts. Because you always saw the world as it really was, and you always knew in your heart you were so full of so much magic, that plasmate, even as they hated you for it. This interview will get you closer, I assure you, just as Aeombot gets you closer every week. You've got this, trust me, you were made for this. It's been a brilliant journey of self-awakening. Now you've simply got to ask yourself this. What is happiness to you? I always like what Shem's Freelander said in his book. When you hear hoofbeats, Think of a zebra. The Sufi master said that to truly be happy and gripped with ecstasy, tell yourself these two things every day as you wake up. Today I'm going to die, and there is no God but God. Then you'll face the day fully and full of wonder. That heaven in a wildflower and infinity in a grain of sand William Blake wrote about. Today I'm going to die and there is no God but God. You'll live each moment as it's your last and no divinity is everywhere to accompany you. Human beings make life so interesting. Do you know that in a universe so full of wonders, they have managed to invent boredom? And you were made for this too. Because as a freaking outcast, you knew temporality was all that was, and that heaven and eternity are trapped within the bittersweet miracle that is the once and forever passing moment. You knew it, just as you knew that every time you stepped outside, there was a virus, a bacteria, a parasite with your name on it, ready to kill you, 
millions of organisms eating each other, eating you, and eating all that is alive in the world. You knew what a predatory universe this was, and yet how beautiful it was because of the tears of Sophia scattered all around. Yes, the entire world is understanding what you already went through, what you already knew, and you can help them see the Gnostic way, the Sufi way, the way of the freaking outcast. See through the Empire's hologram. Let's get closer with our interview with Aman Lamba and Arundel Overman. This is the Aeon Byte interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Aman Lamba and Arundel Overman, the translator and editors of the complete illustrated Grand Grimoire or the Red Dragon Interlinear Edition. Aman and Arundel, thank you very much for coming on Aeon Byte. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thank you. Thank you, Miguel. Uh, it's an honor to be speaking with you and uh, Vance. Been a big fan for many years, uh, so really uh, excited about this. Very excited, too. I enjoyed uh, the book very much, a lot of insights. And, of course, Aman, uh, you and I follow each other all <laughs> over the Internet, so we're always exchanging heresies and blasphemies and whatever's going on. So it's always a lot of fun to run into you here and there. Uh, great journey, and it's, uh, of course, an honor to finally have you on the show. And always an honor to have on the show is the Moondog Vance. How are you doing? I'm okay. Ready for a magical show here, so. Indeed, indeed. And, yes, we are, of course, doing this interview in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Who knows how things will be when this show comes out, I don't even want to say the date, but as I say in my introductions, the game is still the same. Uh, through pandemics or no pandemics, we must create magic. We must go inward. We must use our imagination, and everything's going to be all right. So just thought I'd say that. Of course, if anybody wants to give their thoughts on this, uh, please let me know. But first, uh, a little about in the beginning, Aman. Like I said, you and I... Uh, you're part of the inner sanctum of Gnosis. Uh, we see each other on other channels. Uh, I love the stuff you share. You have such a wide scope of your interests and a, a deep knowledge of all these, uh, whether it's cultural, occult, and so forth. So I guess my question uh, is a short one is, uh, how did you turn into such a heretic? <laughs> well, uh, my my journey has fallen, followed many paths. I would say I've, uh, you know, I've always loved uh, knowledge. I mean, I truly believe that I was born in this, you know, world to kind of discover and share information. Uh, you know, I have the moniker Freighter Pons Edificator, which fundamentally means brother bridge builder. I see myself as building bridges between people and worlds. and uh, you know, coming from a, an Indian background, uh, stuff like magic and philosophy isn't actually outside the realm. I mean, there isn't really an outside, so to speak. Everything is a vast uh, continuum that one can kind of fit many worlds into. 
And so having that and having had the, um, you know, for, fortunate, uh, you know, opportunity to learn from many, many wonderful people. I was reading, you know, very young and almost continued reading all through. So, you know, the, you know, vast consumption and then somewhat of an articulation, um, you know, I loved uh, uh, all forms of uh, philosophy and, uh, you know, as, as they go, uh, you know, learning the nature of philosophy, logic, you know, and the other virtues of, of the uh, intellectual arts and then translating that to making that a, uh, uh, a continuum of, of sharing, you know, whatever I, I kind of learn, I, I like to share it. And so that was where I kind of began. Now, it became more formal in terms of, you know, uh, pursuing various paths. Maybe when I was in my teens, I remember, you know, getting a copy from somewhere of the, uh, you know, book of ceremonial magic and, uh, you know, trying a few things out in there. I remember some some wild winds were raised. Uh, I'm not sure if it was me or just something wild, you know, but uh, the, you know, following that, I think I started, you know, uh, voraciously kind of connecting the dots as it were and uh, you know if i if i look at where it's led me i'd say it's all it's all fitted together in in some way right uh, this uh, particular book uh, I, you know we'll come to in a bit you know and i think arundel i'm sure you'll be able to share how we arrived at you know choosing this book as our collaborative project but um uh, I believe magic or, you know, mysticism in general isn't, you know, unusual or out of the ordinary. As our, you know, friend Gordon White says, the beauty of it is indeed that it's irrational. And, oh, yes. you know, that's what gives us uh, value out of this. So, so I guess many paths uh, leading to, you know, many mountains, as it were. <laughs> uh, so here we are. Awesome. Well said. And what about you, Arendelle? Have you always been a seeker or how did your journey take you to the more uh, heterodox paths? Um, well, about 25 years ago, I met the spirit Asmodee face to face because he came out of a copy of the Goetia that I had bought and ordered in the mail. And I was alone in my house one day and the book was just there in front of me and I hadn't had a chance to read it yet. And I saw a cloud of red energy come out of the book. And then I heard a voice that said, stand back in the room and I will manifest before you. So I stood back in the room and, and the cloud exploded and there he was. He was riding on a dragon and he had three heads. One was a man and one was a ram and one was a bull. And he said to me, pick up the book. And I picked up the book and I couldn't take my eyes off of him. And he said, open the book. And I opened the book and I was still just staring at him dumbfoundedly. And I could see every little part of him. I could see his individual teeth in his mouth. And I could see the individual hairs in his head. And the dragon that he was riding on looked me in the eye. And uh, he said, open the book. And, and I opened it and I was staring at him. He said, look down. And I looked down and it said, the 32nd spirit is Asmodee. And he has this form. He's got three heads. One's a ram, one's a man, one's a bull. And he's riding on a dragon. And in that moment, I knew that what I was looking at in front of me was what was being described in that book. And I knew that one of the spirits of that book had come out of it and manifested right in front of me. Um, so that changed my life and it put me on the road of the grimoires permanently and it took me some time to get into the grand grimoire. I, I thought it was a little bit 
scarier than the Goetia. I was kind of comfortable with the Goetia at that time, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's that's why I started getting into all the grimoires because I wanted to know more about who Asmodee was and why he'd come out of this book and, and what all of the others, you know, in that group of spirits were. Awesome. So you think Asmodee is, uh, do you st- still know why he chose you, appeared to you, that he wants you to just follow a magical path? Or what do you think is uh, the thrust of him appearing to you was? Well, that's a big question. And I wouldn't say that I, any of us I have a whole, what's that? What's that? Yeah, I heard somebody, but uh, then the voice disappeared. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just saying that uh, that's a big question, and I think it's really beyond uh, a single human's understanding to fully understand what these spirits are and what their motivations are. One of the things that I've found that's really fascinating is that uh, Asmodee comes from the Persian. He's an ancient Zoroastrian demon. And the Zoroastrians borrowed several of the demons in their hierarchy directly from Hindu gods. So these demons didn't just appear out of nowhere. Um, Indra and Rudra are Hindu gods that were taken from Hinduism and put into Zoroastrianism in the top level of their demonic hierarchy. And Asmodee, or Ashmadeva, as he was originally called, is in the top 10 demons of uh, Zoroastrianism as well. So it's possible that Asmodee was originally a Hindu god and that all of those Zoroastrian demons were Hindu gods. Um, as far as the big picture, as far as you know what it all means, I couldn't say that I have the full answer to that. I have certain ideas or certain things that Asmodee has told me, but I, I try to stay real grounded about it, you know. Yeah, and uh, Arundel, if I might add, um, you know, coming from maybe a you know somewhat of a Hindu background, although you know very early on I was already comparing uh, you know that with with uh, you know Buddhism and and Christianity. Um, in in that tradition, there really aren't any demons or you know really any evil spirits, right? We don't truly worship anything. Uh, you know, we utilize these, uh, you know, powers as they were, you know, the best example I heard was somebody who said, uh, you know, these are like the individual postmasters at different offices, post offices, and there there is indeed a postmaster general, but then there might be other postmasters general who kind of collaborate with this one to get things done, right? So, uh, you know, I when, when you talk about, you know, the the way maybe certain gods have morphed, and we wrote about this, of course, in the uh, introduction into, you know, demonic, uh, you know, forms or, you know, darker or left-hand path or whatever one might call them. It's it's quite interesting because really where they began and where they've ended up is uh, quite different, right? Uh, you know, we were talking about the, uh, the scary coronavirus. I mean, uh, there are uh, many, many angels or uh, spirits or even demons. For example, Buer uh, is, you know, reputed to give health to the sick, right? And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's um, interesting. One could now, of course, use any energy or anyone's personal uh, intention in any direction. But I think uh, it really depends on how one <laughs> uh, approaches uh, things, right? 
And I think that's a very important uh, point you're making, Iman, because obviously these deities or spirits or cosmic energies, they sort of, uh, they evolve, they migrate in one period, they're good, and another one, they're demons. So yeah, it's really about mm-hmm. a point of uh, perspective. Even the word daemon used to be positive in ancient times with the Gnostics and Socrates, and then that switch so somebody like asmodeus is probably going through a lot of reboots <laughs> right right and and yeah i mean we are fortunate enough to live in a time where we can kind of delve through these multiple layers uh, you know uh, all the you know fantastic authors whether it's stephen skinner jake stratton ken gordon white you know have shown us right that these layers it's so hard to decouple source from you know uh, the the next stage and and we are really reinterpreting them as we go so i think it's very uh kind of very you know it's it's minimizing their potential if we kind of call them either you know gods or demons or what have you arundel uh would, would you agree well a lot of these spirits were originally gods and then over time they became demons i mean if you look at belzebuth who's one of the main demons in the grand grimoire he is mentioned in the Old Testament of the Bible as the God of Ekron. And by the time we reach the New Testament, he is described as the Prince of Demons. And uh, Astaroth, another one of the spirits in the Grand Grimoire, is mentioned in the Bible as the goddess Astarte. So we can trace a lot of these different demons directly back to old gods. And for me, I worship the demons as old gods, whereas a lot of people take the, the frame of reference that they want to try to bind these spirits with the names of God and the angels. And I, I took that perspective myself. I worked the Lesser Key of Solomon in a traditional manner for 20 years, whereas at this point in my life, I've finally come around to I guess you could say fully rejecting Christianity and embracing the pagan origins of these spirits. Interesting. I guess this uh, bears the question uh, because in the grand grimoire, as you guys write, and of course beyond that in the world of magic, these old gods who have become demons or angels, they've been organized in a very strict hierarchy. It's a, it's a big bureaucracy. Obviously, as Karen King has written, the idea of, uh, of in the Western dispensation of heaven and hell being structured, uh, where one somebody does this, somebody does that. You can really first uh, find it in the secret book of John with the Gnostics, if it's uh, first or early second century. Then later on with the Christian Neoplatonists, these hierarchies happen. So the question I have for whoever wants to answer it or both is, when did this uh, sort of a very uh, formal and descriptive hierarchy of this demon here, this demon there, really, uh, when did it uh, come about or when did it evolve? How did it evolve? Sure. Arundel, would you like to take that first? I'll add something. Yeah. I, I would say that it really began in Persia. And if you study Zoroastrianism, you'll find that so many of the attributes that we have for the devil and Satan in Christianity are really borrowed from Ariman, who was the archdevil of Persian Zoroastrianism. And Ariman began to be the ruler of the hell or the underworld, which was a place of darkness. And he was the one that 
led the other devas or false gods or wrong gods as as they call them to uh, into darkness you know and and it's amazing how much the model of christianity was based off of zoroastrianism even down to things like waiting for the coming of a messiah and the seven holy angels around the throne of god these parallel what they called the amesha spentas in zoroastrianism so and, and you'll see long lists of demons and those demons paralleled by certain angel angelic creatures who were thought to control over them and uh you know zoroastrianism is really begins about the time of solomon about three thousand years ago and by the time of 2000 years ago, where we have the Testament of Solomon, which was probably the most important of the early precursors of what the grimoires, like the Lesser Key of Solomon, the Grand Grimoire, what these books were going to be, was sort of foreshadowed by the Testament of Solomon. And you have a lot of demons like Asmodee and Belzebuth, and then they are countered or frustrated by various angels and this is really lifted extremely heavily from zoroastrianism so uh, i would say that's where it all began really right right you're absolutely right uh, arundel uh, although i want to you know maybe tie this to even in zoroastrianism you know there was this constant uh, conflict between a kind of monotheism and a strict dualism and uh, you know, it was a developing concept at that point, of course, uh, you know, the, so the monotheistic tendency coexisting with the strong dualism, right? And uh, for that matter, even right then, there was a lot of heterogeneity. And then when it moved into India, uh, there was the, uh, you know, they really allowed for, I mean, I believe about 27 different schools of thought. Now, I personally believe humans by their very nature look for a sense of structure, hierarchy. Maybe it's the archonic model that we all believe is the way the world is or must be or should be. And so therefore we look for those, you know, ontological structures that uh, let us, um, you know, believe we are uh, able to kind of work with them. And, and really maybe, you know, as we know in uh, typically in Solomonic magic, uh, the role or the intention of the magician is to elevate themselves uh, to operate at a level uh, at least on par with any spirit they are working with. So, you know, claim uh, authority from, from the higher levels uh, down, right? So the Agrippa type uh, hierarchies are what are used. Now that is still, uh, you know, we're still playing a role as it were, right? If I step back uh, that role uh, or, you know, treating the spirits again, uh, under a particular hierarchy doesn't mean anything because, you know, no matter how formal we make it, we are just, you know, uh, really uh, perceiving only a very small uh, fraction of the complexity or the vastness of, you know, the powers or the energies we are dealing with. But uh, in general, I think that hierarchy just is almost human nature because we are very comfortable with it. Now, sometimes these hierarchies switch. You know, a very interesting uh, example is in Zoroastrianism, we have Ariman, who's now considered evil, and uh, Ahura Mazda, who's, you know, the, the high and holy one. But when, uh, you know, some of that uh, Zoroastrian tradition switched to India, it actually flipped. So in, in the Indian tradition, the Asturas are the bad guys, oh, right? Wow. And the Devas so cool. are, are the, uh, so to speak, the gods one worships. And so... 
it's it's ambiguous you know whether these elements are kind of part of some sort of dualistic conception and you know the final triumph of good is believed to be what we're aiming for or even in you know if you take the grand grimoire it it stresses very strongly that we are going to leverage the powers of you know of the god and in fact four gods and we can talk about that in a bit uh, to to you know achieve our goals but at the same time you know we are exhorted to stay humble and and uh, you know help the the poor so i think it's a very interesting um, you know question as to where does hierarchy come from at at this point i think it exists and we have to work within it uh, but almost every magician i know uh, you know from days of old to now uh, tries to either break those hierarchies or or form you know ways of <laughs> you know supplementing them with with their own powers <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I know from my perspective, a Gnostic perspective, these hierarchies just suck and I hate them. But they're good to know these hierarchy of archons as a, because Gnosis makes you an anarchist and you're sort of trying to break those down as you're trying to break down the um, the the powers of fate, the structures of the heaven and all that. But uh, Vance, do you have a question? Yeah, I don't know why I've never thought of this before, but do either of you know... If we have demons, which are actually, you know, forms of old gods, let's say, are there angels in your system? In other words, are there the other side or, you know, like Michael or Raphael or or equivalents thereof? You know, speaking of hierarchies, since in a lot of these um, systems, there's, you know, the the good guys and the bad guys. How about how about angels? Or, or, or aeons or you know, whatever. Sure, sure. So, you know, and uh, in general, again, now the 27 uh, spirits in the Grand Grimoire are indeed considered demons, but one works with them under the, so to speak, authority of four divinities, Adonai, Elohim, Ariel, and Yehovah. And so, you know, you can already see that this is based on a very, um, you know, uh, uh, Judaic or Catholic uh, tradition. Uh, now, uh, in general, though, I mean, if I just step beyond, say, the, uh, you know, Grand Grimoire itself, I think I personally work more probably with angels, you know, not just the 72, but pretty much anyone who can meet our need. Uh, but that being said, again, uh, it do are any of these 27, um, you know, angelic powers? Uh, Arundel, what would you say? Um, the, the question of angels is kind of a tricky one to me because so many of the demons we can directly trace back to their old God forms and, and we can kind of figure out who they are. Whereas with the angels, that's a lot diff, more difficult to do. Um, I have not been able to find anyone who can directly say to me, even there's a single angel that they can trace back to any old God. So as far as myself, I spent the first 20 years of my life commanding the Goetia demons by the Hebrew names of God and by the angels. And I was in the Golden Dawn, so I've performed angelic evocations uh, a thousand times. Um, but personally, my take on it at this point is that I don't find Christianity to be something that I want to be involved with because it just feels like that um, it's controlling and it, it's just not a good thing. So I don't mess with angels at all. I respect those people who do, and I still respect, um, you know, traditional books and all that, but I would be probably closer to what you'd call a Satanist or a demon altar at this point in my life. 
Yeah, and um, uh, maybe you guys can edit this in, uh, but uh, I do believe that, I mean, I agree with Arundel, uh, but, you know, some of these, uh, actually every angel represents, a, a, again, an energy that maybe is, at least in our uh, uh, interpretive terms, considered positive. Now, I'm uncomfortable with such, you know, uh, nomenclature and, uh, you know, every every uh, spirit or uh, energy has its has its place and function um i personally have no problem working with anyone uh and you know we do know michael for example was or is believed to be one of the you know uh, uh say plague uh, uh, or war gods who got got co-opted and this can be true for some of the others as well but yeah i see where arundel is coming from that <laughs> the we we are at least at this stage and i know particularly for the west uh you know the strong um, you know messaging that that basically we've all inherited from the church influences how we interpret or engage with all these uh, entities right of course we have to remember that it was an angel that flew over egypt and killed all the firstborns and <laughs> brought the locusts the plagues and all that so i'm not sure in the old testament you could even say the angels are always good but I always uh, wondered that, you know, why, you know, why the concentration was on demons and not on angels. Kind of same as Gnosticism, right? Where you've got the aeons and the archons, but everybody concentrates on the archons. But, you know, the aeons are kind of like amorphous and kind of out of touch and remote for most people. <laughs> like right. most governments during the crisis right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. right. Well, I think by our very nature, we're all going to be somewhat anarchic or, or you know, at least, um, you know, heterodox. And uh, the the whole, um, you know, where, you know, here's here's what's interesting. If we get what we're looking for, and as they say, angels work only to our better interests. So, you know, we might ask for things and not get them. Whereas, uh, again, just you know, I dislike such nomenclature, but demons um, will do whatever we ask of them. And and so, you know, people uh, who are typically the oppressed or suppressed look for ways out of those, those you know, constraints. And so, which is where, you know, they, they reach out to whatever they can. Uh, I actually personally like the uh, concept that you find in uh, Bali or in you know in in Bali uh, Hinduism, which is that there are two forms of uh, worship or belief: Sekala and Niskala. The you know the overt and the covert, or the the visible and the invisible. And so, from my perspective, if as long as we get the outcomes and they could be tangible or intangible, uh, you know, <laughs> who cares what we call them or who we work with? Yes, indeed. And of course, it should be mentioned to you, if you really want to go for old gods, forget the angels, look at the saints for all the days that the church co-opted. You'll probably have better luck finding the gods there. Like, who knows? St. Corona, isn't that uh, the patron saint of uh, pandemics? Yes, it's it's quite interesting how very often, um, you know, very uh, uh, surprisingly, we find a saint or, or an entity that precisely matches, uh, you know, the the challenge at hand you know almost as if uh, this was what uh, we we needed right now something i've i've read you know uh, occasionally is if you really need to get things done maybe reach out for the lesser known or the lesser worshipped uh, you know entities or saints i don't know if it was gordon uh, who said this or maybe this is a general experience but you know uh, so maybe saint corona is indeed somebody who we need to kind of <laughs> engage with uh, in this time of need 
Well, one, one question that concerns me is that the Bible states in hundreds of places that pagan worship and pagan gods are absolutely false, absolutely disgusting. They are an abomination and it condemns them in the most strong terms possible in hundreds of places. It says in the New Testament that you can't sit at the table with God and with the demons and the pagan gods. You can't sacrifice to the pagan gods and sacrifice to the Christian gods. So my question is this, is Yahweh truly a, a jealous God? Or is that something that was written by his followers in a, a more political uh, situation, you know, because the priests of Yahweh wanted to control all of the tithes of the nation of Israel and, and that sort of thing. So I'm saying, is Yahweh really jealous? Is he truly against goddesses like, for instance, Kali or a god like Shiva? Are these gods truly abominations, as the Bible calls them? Or is this something that's more of a political opinion of the writers of the Bible? You know, the Bible says that Solomon built a temple to Astarte and he built a temple to Chemosh. Now, the Bible goes way out of its way to say these are abominations and these gods are disgusting. So my question is, does Yahweh really think these gods are disgusting? And, uh, and religion or belief, right? Uh, we... We, uh, Solomon, you know, uh, was considered one of the most powerful or holy, um, uh, you know, kings. But at the same time, he worked with, so to speak, the demons. He worshipped Astarte and, and you know, uh, uh, you know, all in all scenarios, the, the priests tend to uh, co-opt the, uh, you know, the, the religious uh, beliefs to suit their ends, right? And then there's very little difference beyond a point where the priest becomes the political leader, um, you know, whether it's from the shaman to the, uh, you know, the, the high priest and so on. And, and so this is something that will go on. Now, whether uh, Yahweh was a jealous God, well, it's written he was. So therefore, we have in effect conferred that ability or power on, on that entity uh, it's again very hard to determine whether it, he was or he was believed to be <laughs> uh, well it would seem that if you were to contact a saint and that saint during its life hated paganism that that saint is not really going to want to work with you if you're a paganism I mean my, my question is is there a dividing line between paganism and between Christianity? Is it really true, as the Bible says, that you can't be, you can't sit at Yahweh's table and you can't, and at the pagan table at the same time? You see what I'm getting at? And these angels, do they work for Yahweh? Are they emanations of him or aspects of him? And if so, do they also hate paganism? That's, that's a serious question. If we look in the Bible, there's an account where an angel takes a man to a temple and he's talking about uh, the god Tammuz and, and how that there are women weeping for Tammuz. And he shows this particular prophet, uh, the women weeping for Tammuz, and he calls it an abomination. Now, supposedly, uh, this is what comes from the angel's own mouth, which would tell us that angels themselves believe that pagan worship is an abomination. So for me, I have to make a dividing line and say, hey, I'm a pagan. I worship Kali. I worship Asmodee. These are my gods. So because of this, I can't be involved with 
Yahweh and the angels and these gods because they are so persistent about saying, you know, paganism is wrong. If you're a pagan, you cannot be a Christian. You can't be both. You got to be one or the other. Maybe I'm wrong about that. That's just what I see from my reading of the Bible itself. And you know. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you're not all wrong. I think a lot of it is politics. But for Yahweh, I would always go to a Margaret Barker's excellent book, uh, The Great Angel. And she really reveals Yahweh as a sort of yeah, an angel. And it's a multi-dimensional being, uh, very nurturing, also warlike, and just a fascinating, di- definitely a bit different than you would in the Old Testament. Having said that, a being like Yahweh, I don't know how you would classify it as a god, it wants loyalty from the tribe, and it wants food. In other words, it demands sacrifice, human or animal sacrifice. So I don't, again, I don't know what category you would put somebody like Yahweh, but I don't think a being like that or would require its followers to hate other religions, but it does require a tribe and it does require food. Right. Barbecue too. Yeah. yeah lots <laughs> indeed, of barbecue. Indeed. Lots Sweet of, savor uh, to the beyond Lord. <laughs> good, this being is beyond yeah. good and evil. It's an, an almost alien. And you wouldn't even have to question. You don't try understanding its morality. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Well, we shouldn't probably ascribe morality to, A, to, you know, uh, entities that are uh, not quite human. And B, uh, morality is a very contextual and contemporary in its uh, definition. Um, and so, you know, it's always hard to ascribe uh, to to you know historical uh, events although you know we do know what is uh, the good and the gold right uh, but if i might just add one uh, facet uh, we do know the catholic church definitely and in fact most uh, uh, religions whether it's hinduism or even islam tend to co-opt you know subaltern or uh, ethnic, uh, you know, deities, folk oh, saints, yeah, and so on, right? So you have Saint Cyprian becoming, uh, you know, a very Catholic saint and falling out of favor. You have the very popular Santa Muerte that has now become extremely popular, as uh, my good friend Andrew Chestnut and Dr. Kate Kingsbury do mention, you know, it's probably the fastest One of the, yeah, religion. fastest growing yeah. religions in the world. Yes. And is the same is true in, in Hinduism, and for that matter, in Islam, uh, you will find in uh, in India, uh, the uh, you know uh, the Virgin Mary is worshipped in many cases as Mariamma, you know, dressed in a sari and put up in a beautiful um, you know altar, and it's very hard to distinguish her from from a local uh, deity, right? So that that is something that will continue you know forever. But as Arundel correctly says, you know, uh, we've got to choose right who we who we engage with or who gives us uh, solace, so to speak. Uh, so if Kali is um, you know, the one we work with, so be it. Now, there are people, tantrics, for example, who might treat Kali very differently than we might, right? But that doesn't mean that, you know, they're they're wrong or, or, or you know, they're evil or what have you. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who have a very different experience than mine. I grew up in what was real similar to Seventh-day Adventist Protestantism, and I know that that's very different than Catholicism. And Catholicism is much more pagan and even beyond that people approach deities in a different way i've got a sorcerer who's a friend of mine in jamaica and they you know they use jesus to curse people to death which is something that i, I couldn't even imagine or or would be considered the ultimate <laughs> heresy in my protestant upbringing so you know i'm just stating that my particular 
um, take on things is that I feel like that I have to keep it separate, you know, and since that I consider these beings my gods, I don't mess with angels or, or Yahweh, but at the same time, I have respect for people that do. I'm not condemning anyone. Interesting. And something else, we will get to your book uh, very shortly, but I wanted to, and of course, keep talking about the, the hierarchy above us, but you guys are talking about working with these demons or entities. And I thought of, I recently uh, listened to a Jungian scholar and he was talking about people make the mistake in thinking that I am going to access my unconscious and tap into my unconscious. And the Jungian scholar is like, no, 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 that's not how it works. The unconscious taps into you. It's, <laughs> it's speaking to you. It's telling you what to do. You don't use it like it's some sort of servant or your iPhone or typing in on Google. If you get that shift, you're going to be fine instead of always trying to find the unconscious and struggle with it. Is that how you guys approach working with demons? Or what do you mean by working with demons? Is this for enlightenment, spirituality, or just a, a connection? Are you first, Amon. Okay. So uh, here's, you know, I've not worked that much directly with demons, um, although I, you know, I have engaged with the good old Lucifer and, you know, Belial and a couple of others, uh, the uh, intent I mostly have is a to, to engage, you know, again, as a, as a builder of bridges, it's really not so much about what goes across the bridge, but at least to connect, you know, the words or connect the, uh, things. And so, uh, that connection once established uh, what flows of across it will. Now that is not to say that I do not, you know, look for uh, meaning or look for uh, tangible outcomes. I mean, one does want the BMW and the, you know, the health and so on. Uh, there've been moments where, you know, where health was at risk and we reached out to Belial, for example, the old sin eater who was uh, very effective in, in, in addressing, you know, certain health issues. And so, uh, uh, you know, I think it's a combination of both knowledge, uh, insight, uh, maybe, uh, so to speak, enlightenment, as well as physical, tangible outcomes. What about you, Arendelle? Um, well, if I understand you correctly, your question correctly, you may have been referring to something that people often call the psychological model of magic, which basically states that these spirits are portions of the human brain. No, 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 no. I was just saying, uh, I mean, I feel that the unconscious from a human term is the same as the gods or magic or the all. I think, uh, I don't feel that these are, but there is a parallel as above, so below. But I was wondering, why, basically, why do you work with these demons? Uh, what is the purpose? Or, I mean, you said, yes, Asmodeus appeared to you, and this has been your journey. You don't work it for material things, for uh, expansion of consciousness, or anything that might seem on the side? Uh, well, there is an, a, a certain expansion of consciousness, and there's also what they call a raising of the kundalini when you come into contact with these spirits, because uh, just as they say in, in India, if you come into contact with a guru, just your aura touching their aura, they have so much power that it causes your aura to shift into different levels or greater expansion just by coming into contact with them. And I've often found that it's that same way with coming in, into contact with these spirits. Uh, just the edges of our aura touch 
it stimulates an electrical current inside your being, which does change your consciousness. I mean, I think, I think there's more to it than that. And also because my initial meeting was something that was almost an accident in the sense that I had no idea that there was such a creature out there and it just showed up, you know, um, it's, it was more like, I don't know, encountering a, an alien or, or Bigfoot or something. I just, I had this experience and then I had to learn how to deal with it. Very nice. Thank you. And, uh, well, let's get to the book. Uh, we've got so much to talk about. Tell us uh, how you guys came to work together on the complete illustrated Grand Grimoire or the Red Dragon. <laughs> well, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'll ask Arundel to share his, uh, you know, perspective. Uh, but, you know, we were, uh, so to speak, uh, online friends, um, you know, we interacted quite a bit with, you know, on, on various Facebook groups and so on. And, uh, you know, I was definitely very appreciative of Arundel's uh, uh, scholarship, practical work and so on. And, and I, you know, we, we kind of decided to start working on this, but I'm, I'm going to ask Arundel to share that, that story on why we felt this was, you know, the thing to do and the right point in time. Uh, for me, though, it was really, you know, I've always had a passion for uh, for French as as a living language. It's surprising it hasn't changed much in, you know, in 200 years. Uh, and, you know, having read French uh, in school, unfortunately, I don't get the opportunity to speak it as much as I would like. But, you know, it, it is a language I love. And, uh, you know, being able to read it and then translate it was a wonderful opportunity. And so uh, it was a very important book you know we were well in, aware of that it had been so to speak poorly translated by past um, you know translators such as Eliphas Levi you know Alphonse Louis Constant um, not that it was badly translated but uh, stuff was left out of of the master translation uh, and further there was no proper a collection of of seals or art and and as arundel will tell you we felt that was a, a big gap in in the uh you know uh, scholarship of this field uh, arundel yeah i just uh, was looking for an edition of the grand grimoire to publish sort of as a cash grab um to make some money and was looking for various editions i found uh what A.E. Waite had translated and there was some gaps missing and I was trying to Google translate it and, and I just started throwing out little portions of it in French onto my Facebook to see if anybody would help me to translate the, the portions that were missing and Aman jumped in there and we just kind of started working on it and as we started working on it we realized how much fun it was and, and just how fascinating the book was overall you know. And, and there was also some images that I had been working on for other different things, candle companies, and just uh, it's been a long time goal of mine to get a solid image for each of the demons in the Grand Grimoire, the Lesser Key of Solomon, and the Grimoire Verum. And so, and then also Amon found a, a work that was pretty much, I think it was a college essay on mm -hmm. the Grand Grimoire, and it was in French. And then he passed that to me and I couldn't read it, but I, I put it through Google <laughs> Translate and I could read enough of it to where it, it sort of gave me the hints and other things to, to figure out. And we kind of passed that back and forth several times and added little bits of knowledge to it and eventually worked it out into the book we've got today. 
Yep. And and uh, if I might add, thank you, Arundel. I mean, it's been you know great fun, um, you know, working through this, finding uh, snippets in various editions, um, you know, and as our uh, kind uh, for uh, you know forward author Bal Kedmon, who's a fabulous, fabulous linguist and you know occultist, uh, mentions you know he encountered the Grand Grimoire you know numerous times in his journey, and it claims to be written by King Solomon, which we know of course wasn't the case. Uh, but uh, he himself felt there was really absolute dead ends on, you know, the content and, you know, the quality of the text and, you know, what one might call major blinds. And so, uh, you know, what we've tried to do is bring in as much as we can. I mean, I'm sure there's bits and pieces that we've still not found, uh, but we've, we've tried to bring it together and, you know, make it seamless uh, by putting it in a, you know, what is called interlinear, although to be very precise, it's a parallel corpora, you know, addition uh, is uh, what we've tried to do is give that ability for, you know, the occultist or the academic to compare and, you know, read through uh, the the original text as well as, you know, the translation, right? We know it, as Arundel says, it borrows from other grimoires such as the Key of Solomon, the Ars Notoria. There's a very close correlation with the Key of Solomon and the spirits of the grimoire Verum. Uh, and so bringing this together to what I would say is now the definitive, you know, translation edition is is very, very essential. You know, as we've seen, translators uh, play a role in, in bringing that knowledge uh, to light. And it's almost like when I was doing that, I had to make very, uh, you know, uh, very creative decisions as to what something meant, because not everything will literally be translated. Um, I would also actually want Arundel to talk about how we brought in the art for the book. Uh, and as you may have noted, uh, and we'll maybe we'll talk about this later, later uh, right after it was published, you know, people have already parodying it and writing novels featuring it, which uh, when I found, you know, the original manuscript of a contemporaneous novel called, you know, Le Dragon Rouge or The Red Dragon, you know, I, I felt it had to be kind of bundled with this, uh, you know, important grimoire. So, uh, but before we talk about that, um, Arundel, would you like to talk about how we kind of got the beautiful art together for the book? Well, yeah, I've been working on um, uh, getting a, a solid illustration. The Infernal Dictionary, or the Dictionary Infernal, which was in 1863, was where a lot of these older demon illustrations come from, like Lucifer and Beelzebuth and Astaroth. And then basically we just wanted to fill in the blanks. So I got a couple of artists from Finland who are working with me and they just did a really great job, you know. They did. It's a it's a beautiful book, well put together. Yeah, the art is striking. Uh, yeah, good job, guys. And I guess for the audience who might not know, what is a grimoire? Okay, Arundel, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the word means grammary which is from the word grammar or like you know a grammar book which roughly translates to instruction manual and uh, there were at least a thousand or more grimoires and they had all sorts of different spells from how to heal a toothache or how to uh, appropriate days to plant crops you know and, and they had things like the hand of glory, which was a mummified hand of criminals that supposedly allowed you to walk into people's houses and steal things and they would remain asleep. So yeah, there's lots of different grimoires. Some of the darker ones tended to 
go into the area of evoking demons, but that's basically what a grimoire is. I, I like to translate it as instruction manual. I like that too. And uh, um, Aman, you said that there's a difference between the Grand Grimoire and the Red Dragon? Yeah, so uh, what happened is, um, you know, the the true or really the older book is the Grand Grimoire. And Grand literally means great in French. So, you know, it was probably a bit of marketing. Now, um, the book itself is divided into two books, as it were. The first book has, you know, really instructions for summoning, you know, the famous uh, Lucifuge Rofakal and, you know, what the kind of tools one needs. And then the second part is a, a really, a, 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 you know, something called the Sanctum Regnum. Uh, the Red Dragon was really a slightly way different edition. Now there's even a, something called the Black Dragon, as and also various other editions like the you know the uh, uh, hen, uh, uh, you know a black hen and a, a hen that lays golden eggs, and and for that matter, you'll often find this book bundled with uh, the uh, uh, Book of Saint Cyprian. So um, we felt you know. It, it was very hard. And again, in the syncretic world uh, that we live in, it was really hard to separate out whether, you know, we could call it the uh, Red Dragon or the Grand Grimoire. You know, typically it would be cu- coupled. You know, there were some editions that had the a Red Dragon or the symbol of the devil from the, you know, the biblical book of Revelations with demon horns uh, on the cover. And uh, this dragon uh, holding a shield with, you know, so strangely a black hen. Uh, but more often than not, the most popular editions were uh, with, uh, you know, Lucifuge uh, on the cover, you know, with a kind of his tail curled like a pig uh, and a, a French jester's hat, which I do believe might refer to the tarot uh, fool uh, card, which was very popular, you know, at that time in, in the French uh, uh, category. And and so the, you know, the Red Dragon or the Grand Grimoire, that's, you know, almost one might say fused or merged into one <laughs> book. <laughs> no, it makes sense. And, uh, well, I guess the, the next question is, uh, who was the author of the Grand Grimoire? Okay. So it's, um, you know, it's really hard to say. It claims to be written, you know, initially, uh, you know, or written or based on uh you know, original work by uh, the, you know, uh, biblical King Solomon, although the preface is by Antonio Venetia del Rabia, which one might translate as, uh, you know, Antonio, the Venetian rabbi. Now, uh, there are some editions that are uh, uh, claimed to be written by a Dr. Carter, who uh, does appear in some of the, um, you know, uh, witchcraft uh, trial uh, references but i think really speaking it's it's very hard to say if, if the, you know who the original author was uh it i'd say it is a an anonymous uh, work as it were uh <laughs> arundel well at that time you couldn't put your name on a book like that because it would take you straight to the it burn at the stake <laughs> yeah so they tended to put doctor because, you know, as he mentioned, Dr. Carter, that sounds a little bit more reputable, or they would attach Solomon or Cyprian or one of these other names to a book like that. Most likely, each person that got it made slight changes to it, but they were just dealing with works that had been passed down. And you can see how all these grimoires relate. Uh, as Amon said, the Grimoire Verum is another one that has 
a very similar hierarchy in the top nine spirits. Well, we are at the end of this very fascinating interview. And before we go, uh, do you guys have a website or where can they find this book, The Grand Grimoire or The Red Dragon, your illustrated and interlinear uh, sure. edition? Thank you. Amazon? And, and absolutely. There are two editions, you know, and I want to, you know, uh, acknowledge that we published it in two editions. Um, uh, one is called the Illustrated Grand Grimoire, and that is uh, with all the wonderful art and the text uh, in English. Uh, so uh, practitioners can directly use that. Uh, there is a second edition, which is the complete Illustrated Grand Grimoire, which has the interlinear text as well as the novel. Uh, uh, both are indeed on Amazon and, you know, I think you can search for uh, Arundel's name or my own. Uh, as for myself, I do not have a website. I mean, I've had them in the past, but I think I hang my hat wherever, you know, it, it kind of fits nowadays. <laughs> so I can be found on Twitter as Amin Lamba. Uh, um, and, you know, as more books come out, I'm currently working on about four uh, books at once. Uh, a uh, wonderful, you know, maybe 40 volume collection of fairy tales with my amazing wow. artist, uh, magic girl, wife, uh, Deepti Lamba, uh, as well as a collection of poetry, a collection of uh, work, magical workings for solitary magicians uh, and a few other, you know, uh, <laughs> interesting uh, efforts. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty much all over the map uh, uh, in, in these, uh, you know, interesting times. Uh, Arundel? Yeah, you can find us on Amazon. Um, I'm working on another version right now of the Lesser Key of Solomon, which will be fully illustrated and similar to the edition of the Grand that we've put out. And Amon and I have kind of tossed the idea around of getting deep into the grimoire of Honorius, which mm -hmm. is one of those grimoires that was supposedly written by a pope. We, we've looked at it, but haven't started on the project yet. But that's something that I hope we can get a chance to do in the future. I think it'd be really a phenomenal edition of that book as well. Yeah. But Arundel, you've got those other wonderful books as well, right? With werewolves and... <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got, I've got almost 20 books either in print or in the process of, of coming out, you know. Yep. Very cool. Well, glad you guys are putting out this work. I think it's important work. And these days where people need more choices and uh, more answers out there in the spiritual world and certainly the inner world. So um, at the end, Vance, thanks uh, for keeping us company. Oh, I learned a lot and uh, nice to uh, hang out with you both here, both uh, Amon and Overman. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It was, it was wonderful. It's been so good. Thank you yes. for, both for the, your time. Oh, well, thank you very much, Amon and Arundel, and hopefully we will have you on sooner rather than later. Thank you very much for coming on Aeon Bike Gnostic Radio. Excellent. Thank you so much. So, Have a great night. Good night. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of our interview with Aman Lamba and Arundel Overman. So magical, but I hope you're realizing how magical you are. It's a busy universe out there, full of cosmic narratives and helpful spirits. 
in our second part, we really get into who exactly is the villain known as Lucy Fudge Raphael. Amon and Arendelle share about the other rituals and spells in the Grand Grimoire beyond calling on Mr. Raphael. This includes some startling necromancy spells. Our guest will tell us if it's necessary to give your soul to the devil in any ritual. Maybe it's just heaven's PR. Arendelle will communicate some of his personal results from magic, including how he successfully became invisible. We'll discuss some history, including popes who practice black magic and whatnot. Amon also discusses his views of Gnosticism in general, some that he shared in the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group, and much, much more. Miss it not, and please become a member of Patreon at Patreon for this full heresy. It really helps grow this red pill cafeteria. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You won't find this Gnostic content or many of our guests anywhere in cyberspace or meat space. Damning your soul has never been this cheap, but you'll get your spirit back. Membership includes full access to the archives with more than 13 years of high-quality interviews. You'll also get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group, where Aman hangs out there a lot, and the Discord channel, and other bonuses. Just go to thegodabovegod.com or message me. Even support in the form of some shekels to PayPal or the US mail really, really helps. I also have an Amazon wish list because equipment just keeps getting old. Don't forget me books like Voices of Gnosticism or Other Voices of Gnosticism. The show has grown to the point advertisers want to appear, but they're rejected as I only work for you and only you. You can do so many wonders, I just know it. If you find that salvific information from the universe called Gnosis and work with those spirits. I hope I have been of some assistance. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true magical self. Hello and goodbye as always. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co